nerds. It's time to suit up and nerd up. Launching badass rockabilly track. Now writing catchy villain reveal song. Time to save the world with some wrestling. Video games, movies, horror, and more. Launching ANS in 3, 2, 1. Welcome to the Amazing Nerd Show. Hey, this is Christian. Hey, this is Damon. And this is the Amazing Nerd Show. Quick note before we dive into this week's episode, I just wanted to say that I will be heading to Anime Midwest next week, July 2nd. I'm only going to be able to make it out for the one day that Friday, but of course, when I come around, so does the ANS World Heavyweight Championship. And if you're there in cosplay, we would love to have you take a photo with the title. And hey, even if you're there in street clothes, I'm willing to take a picture with you with the title anyway. So definitely feel free to say hi. I'm a big fan of conventions, and it really sucked not being able to to you know hit the local ones up at least last year but now that i am double dosed with the vaccine it's time to nerd out with all of you once more but all right damon what are we talking about this week on the show all right on today's show we'll be recapping the third episode of loki and we'll be discussing all the happenings on this week's star wars the bad batch plus we'll be going over the big red cage as we talk wwe's hell in a cell but before that christian it's been a long week so before we get started let's open up an ice cold can of mountain water from this week's sponsored liquid death. Hey, I'm two steps ahead of you. You know, I've been drinking these like crazy, especially during streams. Really helps keep the vocal cords lubricated, you know, while I die a couple thousand times for you guys. Yeah, I've been meaning to talk to you about that. Like, for a streamer, you sure do suck at video games, man. Like, what's up with hey, that? It's, it's just, you know, how games go. You know, you lose some, you win some. Yeah, you definitely lose some, that's for sure. <laughs> uh, but yeah, and I love getting weird looks from my neighbors as they think I'm like pounding back tall boys as I walk with my daughter as she rides her bike. I mean, don't they understand you're just trying to kill your thirst? That's right, man. And also kill my diet pop addiction, at least before it kills me. So, and I mean, look how badass I look with this can, man. I mean, this can's <laughs> artwork looks like it belongs on like some of my favorite metal bands like album covers. Oh, I can see like, that. Like if this was around when I was like 13, I would have been like drinking water like you know for the last like 20 some years and hell probably been saving more of the environment too since it's so much more recyclable than those plastic bottles we've been drinking out of that's right because liquid death's whole mission statement is bringing death to plastic bottles these tall boy aluminum cans are infinitely more recyclable than any plastic bottle and they actually like donate 10% of their profits from every can sold to help kill plastic pollution and like I said they look fucking cool right <laughs> you know it's always fun you know telling people to drink liquid death like it took my girlfriend even a couple of times to even be willing to give it a try. You know, they all think I'm yeah, trying to murder them. I mean, that might be with good reason. Eh, you know, I, I, you you are sketchy. <laughs> I'm not a murderer, man. I'm a thirst killer. You know, they all end up just enjoying that fresh mountain taste. And you know what? There's nothing like being healthy and looking like a badass while doing it. I mean, what's more metal than living forever? I mean, look at Ozzy, for God's sakes. Well, listeners, if you're interested in picking up some liquid death and giving it a try yourself, it's available at 7-Eleven and Whole Foods foods nationwide or they could even head over to liquiddeath.com use our promo code amazing nerd when you purchase a 12 pack of these badass tall boys and you'll get a free koozie two pack which is an eight dollar value that's right use that promo code amazing nerd at checkout at liquiddeath.com that's right nerds murder your thirst and bring death to plastic bottles all right, but before we move on, make sure to subscribe to us on your favorite podcast platform. And while you're at it, give us a five-star review and DM us a screenshot. Not only will we read it on the show, but we'll send you some amazing Nerd Show swag. 
Let's get into the news. Every week we collect the biggest headlines and rumors of nerdum. We're not mild-mannered reporters, we're mere podcasters with opinions. First up, MCU's Kevin Feige teases more prequel films could possibly be on the way. Well, it's definitely kind of a slow news week because this is pretty much a non-story, but it's interesting to talk about regardless. Uh, During a press conference for uh, Black Widow, Marvel Studios head Kevin Feige confirmed more prequels could be on the way should the story warrant the timeline. The producers quoted as saying, certainly this film and this story is a particular case for Natasha, but the notion of exploring the past, present, and future of the MCU is certainly in the cards for all of our characters. So this is definitely not much of a story, but it really got my wheels turning thinking about like what character I would like to see kind of a prequel like film based on. And the one conclusion I came to was T'Challa. I mean, we don't want to recast Chadwick at this point, but I think a great way to honor that character and, you know, the actor even is by kind of telling, you know, that character's backstory as like a young boy or, you know, a teenager even. And we could see like T'Challa grow into like the man and the king that he eventually becomes. Uh, You could have tons of adventures. You can have his father running around as the Black Panther. Um, And it'd be a great way to explore Wakanda and its history and culture. I mean, think of it as Marvel's version of that uh, show, uh, Young Indiana Jones. All right, so Christian, I pose the question to you. What Marvel character would you like to see a prequel movie based on? So we got little tidbits of Hank Pym's past, but I think there's a lot of room during that time period um, of him, you know, finally, you know, putting on the Ant-Man suits and you know, going on wild adventures back then that we could totally see. I could totally see them doing. Uh, I, I don't want to see, you know, I feel like they should recast it at that point. We don't need to have de-aged Michael Douglas running around the entire time. So, but I mean, yeah, I think that would be a great time period to uh, focus on, you know, we can get a little bit more uh, Peggy Carter as well in there. You know, there's a lot of things that could have been going on during that time. And we could see how things have changed, you know, since Captain went back and, you know, you know, kind of changed her storyline. So you think they're going to reveal what happens between Captain America and Peggy Carter when he goes back in the timeline and some kind of prequel to Ant-Man is what I- you're saying, Christian? I doubt it, but they could touch on it. <laughs> it sounds like a long shot, buddy. <laughs> hey, who knows? What you know, Quantumanium could open up a whole new world, as we said before, for Ant-Man. So who knows? What's <laughs> I wouldn't mind seeing like, you know, the adventures of, you know, uh, Hank Pym mm-hmm. and Wasp, um, you know, the early adventures. But yeah. But I think you're opening up a can of worms if you think you're gonna get like, you know, what actually happens to like Cap and Peggy Carter. You know, at least in that story. Hey, it was what would you like to see, I believe, was the question. And that's what I threw out there, all right? (laughs) (laughs) Well, and to that point, Foggy does say, like, you know, the notion of exploring the past, present, and future of the MCU is definitely in the cards for all the characters. So maybe you could get, like, a whole, like, movie or series about, like, the adventures of Peggy and Steve, Mm -hmm. you know, in this new timeline. No, exactly. But I doubt you're going to have Hank Pym running around also. <laughs> it's just an idea. I'm, be- I'm being a dick. I know. <laughs> I can tell. Big surprise. <laughs> All right, up next, Sony's Spider-Man spinoff series, Silk, adds Watchmen producer as showrunner. So, yes, Deadline is reporting that the series has added Watchmen producer Tom Spezzoli as showrunner. He will also serve as an executive producer alongside Lauren Moon, who is also writing the series. On the producer side of things, we know that he's already in good company because we know on board we have Into the spider 
versus Phil Lord and Christopher Miller alongside Amy Pascal. Um, in my book, this is awesome news. The Watchmen is a phenomenal series. So if you can get some of that Watchmen magic working over here on this show, that's absolutely not a bad thing. I mean, yeah, Watchmen was my show for 2019. So, I mean, I, I have no problem with anyone working on that coming over to Silk. All right, and Damon, don't get too excited now. But up next, we have the official title of the next Transformers movie. So if you need any proof that it's a slow news week, here's all the evidence you need because we're actually going to go ahead and discuss some Transformer live action news. I mean, don't get me wrong. I love me some Transformers, but those Michael Bay films are the drizzling shits, except for maybe Bumblebee. That was okay-ish. But anyway, Paramount is bringing back the Transformers with a live action version of Transformers B. Beast Wars. The new film will be titled Transformers Rise of the Beasts. Uh, it will be directed by Steve Cappell Jr. from Creed 2, and it will be starring Anthony Ramos and Dominic Fishback. Uh, the movie will be set in 1994. The main characters will be Optimus Prime and Bumblebee. Uh, there will be Decepticons, but the main villains in the film will be the Terracons. We did get a synopsis and it reads, Transformers Rise of the Beasts will take audiences on a 90s globetrotting adventure and introduce the Maximals, Predacons, and Terracons to the existing battle on Earth between the Autobots and Decepticons. The film arrives in theaters June June 24th, 2022. So just about a year away. Uh, as you can tell, I'm a hardcore G1 guy. I'm not a big Beast Wars fan, so this doesn't really do much for me. Uh, and I'm confused. Like, is this a rebooted timeline now? Is this not a prequel to the Michael Bay films? Because how is Optimus Prime on Earth in the 90s? Does that make any sense, or am I thinking just way too hard about this? Oh, you're absolutely overthinking this. But anyway, in some disappointing news, it looks like Harrison Ford has been injured on the set of Indy 5. Will someone please tell Harrison Ford he's almost 80? I mean, between like crashing planes and getting injured on set numerous times, because I think he was injured on Force Awakens also, and it like halted production. I mean, someone needs to step in and put Grandpa to bed, because this is getting ridiculous. So according to Variety, in the course of rehearsing a fight scene, Harrison Ford sustained an injury involving his shoulder. Uh, this is coming from a spokesperson from Disney. Our production will continue while the appropriate course of treatment is evaluated, and the filming schedule will be reconfigured as needed in the coming weeks. Why the fuck is Harrison Ford rehearsing fight scenes? Once again, he's 80 years old. I mean, we have stunt people, right? And like fucking phenomenal CGI at this point. So what the hell? And don't get me wrong, I love Harrison Ford. And if I could keep him like frozen in his 40s, I would put him in every fucking movie. I mean, he's Han Solo, goddammit. But at this point in his life, like someone else can punch the fucking Nazis. I mean, someone just has to be the adult in the room and like tell Harrison enough's enough and just save him from himself. But no, seriously, it's it, it's Disney money. I mean, it's not going to end up like Star Wars Episode three, where like they're you know imposing the faces and it all looks fucking weird. It's going to be a decent like CG scan. You know, it's not uh -huh. going to look bad at all. So why do this? Why? Why even put him through the trouble? Like all he had to do is sit in front of 100 cameras. They all take a photo and we move on. <laughs> I mean, honestly, like he could just be bubble wrapped in between scenes just to protect him. Like, I mean, he's got to be pretty fragile. I mean, he's 80 years old. I don't know any 80 year old that isn't fragile, honestly. So, I mean, all he has to do is just hold the fucking whip. 
That's it. As long as he can hold the whip, they can do the rest. Exactly. I mean, in post. So, Christian, this was the week of the second trailer, man. I mean, we literally got a second trailer for like six different films. Yeah, crazy. Right? Like Snake Eyes, uh, Suicide Squad. What am I missing? Candyman? <laughs> Candyman, yeah. Uh, but honestly, Christian, we don't have all the time in the world. So <laughs> we can't sit here and react to six different trailers. Um, You're telling me. <laughs> but we're going to go ahead and we're going to react to like the two trailers that I think had like the most like significant and like new footage in. So up first, let's go ahead and talk Shang-Chi, The Legend of the Ten Rings. I guess this is its first full trailer. I, I guess you could say that nowadays. <laughs> sure. It, it's a second trailer. <laughs> You are a product of all who came before you. The legacy of your family. You are your mother. And whether you like it or not, you are also your father. So if you told me six months ago that I would be this excited for a fucking Shang-Chi movie, I would call you a damn liar, Christian. <laughs> but this movie just keeps on looking more and more awesome every time they release something for it. I mean, this trailer, like, focused really on, like, the legacy of the Ten Rings and the relationship between, like, Shang-Chi and his family, especially, like, his father, you know, the Mandarin. Mm -hmm. uh, once again, like, I love the look for this film. They're going for this like neo futuristic like kung fu vibe. It, it looks a lot like what we got from like that club scene and that like chase scene from a uh, Black Panther. Yes. Uh, mm -hmm. But we like knew that from the first trailer. Um, here we actually get to see the rings in action, and they look like they do more than just like power up whoever's like wearing it. They actually become like weapons, like flying off like the user's arms uh, when needed. At least that's what it looks like in the trailer. Um, mm -hmm. We see one of those crazy flying lions again. And then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, Shang-Chi comes face to face underwater, mind you, with a fucking dragon. I mean, Hell yeah, he does. Like, <laughs> are we actually like going to get Fin Fan Foom in this film? Because I don't think my brain can handle that. We see Shang-Chi and the Mandarin like play tug of war with the rings at one point. Um, they look like they're battling for control of the power. Um, and then like when you think the trailer's over, we end up with some kind of like superpower fight club happening and we see what looks like abomination and maybe yeah. Wong like cage fighting. I mean, what the it's hell so is Wong. happening in this film, Christian? I have no idea. It's crazy. Like uh, when when they first announced Shang-Chi, I thought, you know, this is an opportunity for them to really go all in on a brand new character. Not, I mean, it's not new to Marvel whatsoever, but new to a lot of the general audience. And I think if they capitalize here, this is their next, you know, this could be like their next big, I'm not going to say Iron Man character, but just like huge character for the MCU to really lean on going forward. I think this is very cool stuff that we're getting here. Um, I, I'm interested to know if like, because as you said, with the um, power struggle between them, you know, pulling on the rings, is this movie going to end with him, you know, actually collecting the rings or will it end with them destroying them? I don't know how they're going to handle another super powered weapon like that going forward. No, that's an interesting point. Um, mm -hmm. I don't know, man. I just don't know if I can fucking handle waiting like three months for this movie. <laughs> I mean, this looks Close, amazing. <laughs> mm -hmm. And once again, what's great about it is it, it looks different. It's something that we haven't yes. seen out of the MCU before. I was really impressed with this. But like, what the hell is Wong doing cage fighting? Like... <laughs> 
Like, did you get? I mean, is that Wong? That's got. We be. don't have like, confirmation I, I'm yet. I'm watching the trailer on repeat right okay. now. It just looks like his fucking, you know, his uh, glyph. It looks like what he wears. Yeah, because it's a, definitely like the sorcerer like power signature, mm -hmm. but you don't really get like an up close looking because like maybe it's just another sorcerer, but. I have no idea. It looked like Wong to me. Um, and then we know Abomination's popping up in the She-Hulk uh, series. Yes. Mm -hmm. So, is like Tim Roth in this film too? <laughs> Just, and no why idea. are they cage fighting? <laughs> like, I could, I could see a whole like movie series based on just like superheroes cage fighting. That'd be fantastic. Uh -huh. <laughs> <laughs> I want more of that. But yeah, now this looks great. But anyway, Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings will be coming to a theater near you September 3rd. Absolutely looking forward to it. But that's not the only trailer we got this week. That's right. We got a quote-unquote full trailer for Halloween Kills. Michael Myers is flesh and blood. But a man couldn't have survived that fire. The more he kills, the more he transcends. Run! Go now! He's the essence of evil. So I enjoyed the hell out of this trailer for the most part. Uh, they do show a tad too much. Like, you don't want to spoil actual kills in a slasher mm -hmm. film. I mean, for me personally, it just like ruins scenes when you're actually watching the movie. Uh, but like, holy shit, the glimpses we got of Michael's <laughs> escape from the fire just look glorious. I mean, it looks like he takes on a whole like department of firefighters. I mean, we see, <laughs> we see people getting impaled. We see what looks like the jaws of life actually come into play at one point. Uh, we meet back with Lori and family. She's gone full Loomis here. I mean, mm -hmm. with Michael out there, she can't rest. Uh, it feels like they're really following the original like Halloween 2 template though. Not just because like, you know, that scene takes place in a hospital, but it seems like this movie is going to take place on the same night that Halloween 2018, like, you know, takes place on. So uh, we get shots of all the carnage from the first film. It looks like the sheriff is back, who we met, like, briefly in the first movie, uh, with this time probably a bigger role. We see a lot of familiar faces. Uh, Tommy, Lindsay Wallace, uh, the nurse, Marion Chambers are all back. Apparently, they all live in Haddonfield. Uh, Tommy, this time, is being played by Anthony Michael Hall. Uh, but yeah, no. Uh, we see Michael Myers, like, go deathmatch style with someone with a fluorescent tube. Um, I'm glad they're getting creative with their kills, but this is uh -huh. a scene I'd rather have them save for the movie. Like, I don't need them to spoil it in the trailer. Because mm, uh, um, then you're just waiting for it to happen. But, I mean, uh, films are known to do alternative cuts, so maybe that's what we're getting here. Um, I doubt yeah, it. <laughs> I, I agree. This isn't the MCU or something, right? <laughs> Hmm. They're definitely doing a copycat of that scene where he actually attacks the nurse from the top of the car. Oh, yes. With uh, Chambers Absolute. you're talking about? Uh, mm. Yes, from the first film. Yes. Yes. That's definitely an homage to it. The whole town is uprising. Uh, it, once again, it reminds me a lot of what happens in Halloween 2, where we see the town like surrounding the Myers old house. Um, mm -hmm. You know, people like are throwing rocks and bricks at it. I think Loomis says something like the tribe, you know, have lost one of their own. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah, it looks like we're getting kind of an expanded version of that scene. And we know Jamie Lee Curse has come out and said in like interviews, this is kind of all about like the community's reaction to Michael Myers. I believe it was in this film, not the upcoming film, which is what Halloween ends. 
I believe. Yeah. Right. Uh, well, I would I would hope that that this is what she's talking about since it shows so much of the community yes, involved. Yes. Um, mm. Speaking of which, it seems like someone's tracking Michael and like figuring a pattern to all his mm-hmm. kills. I don't know if you caught that. But it, it sounds like Michael's headed home. I, I mean, I come to expect that. I mean, but I feel like that's just because I'm the viewer. I've yes. seen all these movies. <laughs> we know the formula. Like, yeah, obviously he's going home. <laughs> but it is interesting because, like, why is he focused on the Strode family? You know, since Lori is not his sister anymore. Sister, mm-hmm. You know, so maybe, I, I don't know. Because it definitely felt like he was hyper-focused on Lori in the 2018 film. But maybe that's just me. So I, I guess he's just, you know, going home to his family's house, um, see if anyone's there. So apparently he's just, you know, headed to his old family's house. Um, hopefully no one actually still lives there. So um, <laughs> it's got to have resold right by now. <laughs> well, if someone does live there, they definitely got the house for dirt cheap, Christian. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> like, what, 100 bucks? Like, <laughs> I love the line from Lori about the more he kills, like he starts to transcend, um, talking about how he's not human anymore. It felt very Loomis-esque. Uh, I felt like the first film was kind of missing, you know, Loomis a lot. Um, it feels like Lori's definitely taking on that role now, uh, which only makes sense. Mm-hmm. I think uh, Lori's granddaughter's boyfriend is back. It could be him. I just don't remember him much from the first film. Well, I don't think he died in the first film. So Mm -hmm. I'm going to have to go back and watch it. But I think that's who we see, like, holding the gun, walking through the hallway. The silver shamrock masks are back. Um, We saw them briefly in the last film. Uh, Now it looks like they're being worn by victims. Uh, I don't know. Pretty nice homage, though. Mm -hmm. I don't know. Like, all in all, I mean, just a pretty damn good trailer. Like, I wasn't the biggest fan of Halloween 2018, but I'm excited to see where they go with this one. I just don't think there's enough, like, you know, big budget slashers out right now. And I'm interested to see what, you know, this film does. Uh, Besides, you know, like Candyman and stuff like that. Though I don't know if I would really consider that much of a slasher, as as compared to Halloween, at least. Mm -hmm. Um, Maybe not in the the purest sense. I see what you're saying. Mm -hmm. Um, Because it's definitely got, like, ghost story-like tendencies. (laughs) So, but I mean... Maybe this sparks a resurgence, you know, between Candyman and Halloween. Uh, here's to hoping, right? Uh, yep. <laughs> I just hope they don't fall in the same trap that they did with the first film, where they, uh, like, too many of, like, the kills and everything felt too derivative of other kills that we saw throughout, like, the series. Mm. Which was weird because they were really trying to be, like, their own thing and, like, take it back to, like, the roots of the first film. But, like, at the same time, they were paying, like, homage to, like, a lot of different scenes that we've seen in the past. And at a certain no, point... I think we said it, it felt like it, a greatest hits. Yes, at a certain point, it feels like your greatest hits and not just, like, Easter mm. eggs. So, I mean, from what we've seen from just a couple different kills in this trailer... Uh, which we unfortunately got spoiled. It definitely feels like they're being a lot more creative this time around. So that's 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 a good sign. But anyway, this film will be out October 15th, later this year. All right, Christian, it's time to break down Loki Episode 3, Lamentis. Warning, spoiler alert. Spoilers for Marvel's Loki ahead. You have been warned. Love is a dagger. It's a weapon to be wielded far away. Or up close. You can see yourself in it. It's beautiful until it makes you bleed. But ultimately, when you reach for it, it isn't real.
This week on Loki, things have really been flipped on their head as we get a sort of team up with Loki and Lady Loki, or should I say Sylvie, as we later learn she prefers to be called. This episode actually starts with Sylvie using her um, enchanting ability to coax out the location of the Timekeepers from the kidnapped Minuteman in the previous episode, um, right before, you know, the timeline bombing that we saw in the end of the episode. Yeah, this is definitely our first hint in this episode that not everything is what it seems with the TVA, because here the agent feels like she had a normal life at some point, which we were led to believe before that the TV agents were created by like the timekeepers. Mm -hmm. So obviously <laughs> something's up, but we'll talk more about that later on. We see Sylvie now inside the TVA from the portal she used in the last episode. Um, even with her magic being blocked in the facility, Sylvie is really not one to be fucked with as she opens up a can of whoop ass here on every agent in her way. Loki, who we had seen, you know, chase after her in the last episode, arrives now at the TVA and immediately collects his trusty knives and finds Sylvie before she can actually get on the elevators. The two brawl with fists and words as Loki still tries to find a way to use Sylvie in his goal of meeting the timekeepers himself. This fight, however, is interrupted by Judge Renslayer, and before she can, you know, apprehend either one of them, Loki steals a tempad off Sylvie to open a portal to another time and planet. So are, like, the timekeepers in that building? Apparently. <laughs> that's as far as we know. Because the elevators lead to them, right? Yeah. Huh, okay. It's very Wizard of Oz. You you yes, follow the yellow brick road. Absolutely. Absolutely it is. I guess we'll find out if we see a little old man behind the curtain, though. Yes. Or maybe <laughs> King the fucking Conqueror. All I'm saying, <laughs> I'll say this here, is that there better be a fun little jingle just the same way as we got in Scarlet Witch's show. Oh, <laughs> I don't know, man. I don't know. We did get Loki I, singing this episode, though. True. True. Good point. You, you really just want a musical number? You're like jonesing for it? I love I loved the first one. <laughs> I didn't know you were a Broadway man. Hey, I can appreciate it. Hey, I'm, I'm here for it. In the Heights was a shitty movie. Let's move on. <laughs> <laughs> Here's where the title of the episode really comes to play, as while these two, again, are, you know, duking it out over who controls the Tempad, we seem to be now on a mining camp on a moon called Lamentus One, during what Sylvie says is the worst apocalypse event of them all. So apparently, Lamentus One is some kind of Kree outpost. Um, it was in the comics at one point, but I'm still not really sure why you know, the series chose to end up here. It was something that I could play with. I like who's who's looking at Lamentus One. It's a on very, a very deep cut. Uh -huh. <laughs> <laughs> While debris from the nearby planet falls onto the moon, you know, our two Lokis do their best to survive. We discover that the Tempad has now run out of power. Loki hides the Tempad away with abilities that Sylvie doesn't seem to have herself. And now we actually just find our unlikely duo relying on one another to find find a new source of power for the device if they want to even survive this apocalypse. Uh, these two have great chemistry together. I love the banter mm. back and forth. Um, and that's, you know, pretty much what this whole episode was kind of focused on was really like, you know, character building and these two really like getting to know each other. It's fine, but you know, it's a, it's a six episode series. Yeah. <laughs> and I definitely started worrying about that here. It's almost like this has felt a little bit almost the opposite of Falcon and Warrior Soldier, where Falcon and Warrior Soldier just felt like it was just bam, 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 bam. Here's here's this happening. Here's this happening. We got to move on to the next one. This one seems to be stretching things out, but it's even less episodes than we got 
with Falcon and Winter Soldier, right? Yeah. I think that was eight. Yeah. So I, I don't. I was a little <laughs> concerned about this episode uh-huh. um, when it was over, but we'll talk about that in a little bit. Mm hmm. The two of them go back and forth as they leave the mining camp in search of power. Um, Here is where we learn that Lady Loki changed her alias to Sylvie. Loki puts into question if she really is another version of him, and Sylvie doesn't shy away from putting him in his place. In showing him the contradictions in his actions versus what he says that, you know, make up being a Loki. For me, this scene and episode across the board shows cool parallels and differences between these two characters' very sense of chaos. Sylvie is acting out and, you know, causing pure chaos while our Loki, you know, faces off against the chaos in himself as it's apparent that he doesn't truly understand what he really wants in the end. So if Sylvie isn't like another character disguised as Loki, I just find it like such a strange choice to like make this like hybrid character between, you know, a pre-existing, you know, version of the Enchantress and mm-hmm. Lady Loki. Like it just feels so odd. Like you could have just, you know, called her Lady Loki and not have all this confusion unless they're just trying to stir up like the speculation, which I'm sure that's part of it. Well, yeah, especially like with her obviously calling her abilities enchanting. Yes. Like, I was like, OK, well, it's a little too on the nose. I definitely think it's not anyone else, though. I don't think it's going to be another character. I don't think there's going to be a big twist with her being a different person. While I was feeling differently last episode, I agree. Um, It just seems like they really liked elements of the second Enchantress from, you know, the Mm -hmm. comics a lot and wanted to kind of integrate it in this character. But at the same time, like, you know, honoring her by calling them Sylvie. So it's just a really weird choice. I don't know. But like I said, it it probably is like their way of doing like a red herring. The two later determined that the only way they can, you know, power up the Tempad would be to steal it from a massive power source. Luckily for them, there is a spaceship on the moon set to take the last of its people away called the Ark, except this spaceship is actually still determined to be destroyed by the apocalypse event. We get another fun moment here when both Lokis kind of show off their approaches to conflict. Sylvia really just kind of charges head forward in any type of conflict, but right here she tries again um, at this settler's home and then gets easily blasted away, whereas Loki attempts to use you know magic and charm to sweet talk this settler. Both ultimately fail as this settler seems to just be able to see through their you know abilities and magic, but still in the and helps them by telling them about the arc and how to get onto it. Uh, once again, like you said, I mean, you're really seeing like the two different like parallels between these characters mm-hmm. um, play out. They both feel like they've lived very different lives. Um, so I think it'll be kind of eye-opening for Loki Prime to see, you know, how different his life could have been. This time around, they actually try to be a little bit more stealthy as, you know, they have to get onto this train without actually having a ticket. With their combined abilities, though, they're able to create illusions and enchant folks' minds, um, which makes it pretty easy for them to get actually onto the train. We also notice that in this scene, the train seems to be clearly favoring the upper class and kind of leaving its poorer settlers to just be doomed by this apocalypse. 
on the train the two of them kind of take a look into who they are as Loki you know um, Loki here reminisces over Freya and how she taught him how to use magic you know we get explanations from Sylvie on her enchanting abilities and how she taught herself how to actually control them um, their stories have vastly different moments that lead to them becoming who they are yet a lot of their sentiments and way of thinking can be said to be similar as they start to discuss the meaning of love we also get confirmation in this scene of our first major Marvel character being a part of the LGBTQ community with Loki disclosing that he is indeed bisexual. I know in the comics Loki has come out as pansexual but it seems that here in the MCU at least based off the conversation that they're having here with love it seems that both of our Lokis here are bisexual. I love Loki's awful dagger metaphor. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I could watch a whole series of drunken Loki honestly uh, so. My, my girlfriend was concerned that he was falling in love with himself. Uh, himself oh, here. That would yeah. be such a Loki thing to do. <laughs> I know. <laughs> but yeah, absolutely weird. So <laughs> I don't think I want to see that. After getting to know one another and deciding to attempt to rest on this train in their own way, Sylvie wakes up to find Loki may have stirred up a bit of a mess as we get a fun callback to Thor with Loki pounding away at Martinis and simply calling for another as gods do. Drunken causing mischief as always leads to the two getting into a brawl with the train's guardsmen, which ultimately ends up with both Lokis flying out a window. So when this first like happened, I really felt like Loki did that on purpose. Like he was trying to get himself like thrown out of the train. I kind of expect him to have like another plan up his sleeve, but apparently that wasn't the case. Nope, he was just drunk and <laughs> he easily threw him out. <laughs> it happens to everyone. To the best of us. <laughs> what did you do last weekend, Christian? <laughs> hey, 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 it's not about me. We're talking about Loki here. After that fight, we discover that the Tempad has been destroyed upon Loki's hard landing from the train. To Sylvie's dismay, they have to come up with a new plan to save themselves from the apocalypse. The two determine that the only way they're getting off this moon is if they actually save the Ark that will be destroyed during this apocalypse. That's what it was. It was the Tempad being destroyed. Because I was like, is that bullshit? Is that an illusion? And it's not destroyed and he has it still? Oh, that's what it was like, was kind of like sticking with me. So, but I mean, I guess I've been watching Loki for the last like 12 years, so I just don't trust mm -hmm. him. <laughs> it would be a good little twist in the next episode if like he's like, I actually found another way and got uh, like he's testing her, trying to get information mm -hmm. from her somehow. But if that plan wasn't wild enough for you, this next revelation is even bigger as Sylvie actually begins to explain her enchanting ability even further and how she actually used it on the agent in the first scene. Um, she explains she uses visions from the victim's memories while inside their mind and that the vision she used was from before the agent had been a member of the TVA. Loki and actually myself in this moment exclaimed that goes strictly against what we learned about the TVA in the previous episode. And then Sylvie drops the final pipe bomb by explaining that everyone in the TVA is actually a variant of real people from the sacred timeline. Yeah, for me by far this was the biggest revelation this episode. Um, it kind of gives us an idea of the true nature of like the timekeepers. Yeah, man, it was Kang all along. <laughs> you know, that's just how it is. Is Kang gonna be I like the new song. like Mephisto? <sighs> Probably until the movie comes out with Ant Man, yeah. <laughs> and he's like totally like downplayed as a character. And <laughs> or watch an Ant Man. Kang's really Mephisto. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> that would be amazing, actually. I would love that. Um, I don't know about amazing, but <laughs> I feel like that's the road we're going down at this point. I would, I would at least be dying laughing in the theater. Well, with all that said, we're then thrown into the episode's endgame as our Lokis have five minutes to save the arc. And while they seem to be working well together, the impending doom becomes too much as the town surrounding the arc is bombarded with space debris. And unfortunately, our would-be heroes don't make it to the arc in time, with the episode actually closing out in their failure. We also see Sylvie quickly abandon Loki here as he stares off at the exploding arc. So a lot of people are pointing to the fact that like Loki like had this huge display of power, um, basically reversing a falling tower before it falls and like crushes them. Um, he's a powerful sorcerer, though, because I mean, a, lo a lot of people are pointing to like him possibly having like a time stone, which I understand because I even said last episode, I can't imagine Loki walking out of the TVA without a pocket of infinity stones. Mm -hmm. But here, I don't think that's the case. I think it's just him like using all his power, you know, to, you know, get to that shuttle. Yeah. I mean, no pun intended, but I don't think it's mischief here. I think he's really just using his powers, you know, to his full extent mm. to stop that building from crushing them. At least I don't think he really cares if it lands on everyone else. But, you know, it's, although, it's, you know, there is that moment where he says all these people are going to die. Which felt strange mm -hmm. for who Loki is at this point in time, um, because this is still the Loki right after the events of the first Avengers film. Like that felt more like the Loki we see later on in like Thor Ragnarok. Yeah. You know, mm -hmm. or after the events of Thor Ragnarok. So that kind of stuck out to me. I definitely feel like they're playing, you know, a little fast and loose off of well, his Well, I'm wondering, though, but... like, if it's just, you know, after witnessing the events of what's going to happen in the future, maybe he's starting to kind of come around a little faster than he would have in, like, you know, the sacred timeline. Um, you know, one of the producers actually came out about this scene, you know, saying that they had actually gotten inspiration from of Children of Men for their, like, tracking shot through this, which is, it's very apparent, and especially after fucking every film teacher I've ever had making me watch that movie over and over again. I love the movie, but Jesus Christ. Uh, <laughs> it's a good scene because it definitely feels it's like really one scene. continuous shot throughout. Mm -hmm. So um, it, it's really well done. I also thought um, uh, I Need a Hero would have fit here a little better. <laughs> <laughs> I agree, but now knowing what we know about Lady Loki, mm -hmm. I feel like that song fits a lot better for that scene because she's definitely the hero of this piece. So I don't know, like I enjoyed this episode, a lot of character building and there's nothing wrong with that. But like, strangely enough, like we didn't get a lot of insight on who Lady Loki actually is and like her true motives. And I'm guessing that's going to happen next episode, um, mm. you know, besides her wanting to like burn down the TVA, of course. <laughs> uh, like, I love the banter back and forth between the two. But like I was saying at the top, like, I'm afraid like this is the episode we're going to point to if the finale feels rushed. Like, I'm fine with them taking a moment to let things mm -hmm. breathe, but like the thought of a six episode season just kept on going through my head. But after like Falcon and the Winter Soldier, it's with good reason because the biggest issue with that series was the pacing. It felt like they ran out of episodes to tell their story. Mm -hmm. So <laughs> that's why everything just felt so rushed at the end. Um, I'm just hoping that that isn't the case here. 
because they have so much story to tell. And it's like a story with such large scope and huge implications for the MCU and the yes. future of the franchise. So I want them to like nail this and stick the landing and do it right. No, oh, yeah, this absolutely feels like a like chokehold point for the MCU. And if they fuck up the ending, we're, we're going to be complaining and going back to this show for the end of time. Because, mm -hmm. I mean, this is literally, you know, this is where the timeline exploded. And now we have, you know, three movies probably based around this. Yeah. And yeah, the good news is like each one of these episodes have been at least 45 minutes long. I think this yes. was actually the shortest of the three at like 44 minutes. Um, so they really, with three episodes, they've got like a full movie's length worth of time, you know, to finish their story. So, I mean, they can pull it off, but they just have a lot of work to do. All right, listeners. So special thanks this week goes to our sponsor, Smile Brilliant. Christian, man, what's going on? You actually look awake this week. Honestly, all the credit goes to my brand new Smile Brilliant Night Guard. I had no idea how much sleep I was missing out on until Smile Brilliant came into my life. Christian, I said it before and I'll say it again. It's one of the best gifts my wife has ever gotten me. And when it comes to teeth grinding, come to find out I'm not alone. In fact, there's roughly 40 million other Americans who grind their teeth as well. Whether it's from stress, anxiety, or an abnormal bite, chronic teeth grinding will lead to things like worn enamel, tooth decay, sleeplessness, and expensive dental procedures. Exactly, Damon. And the number one teeth grinding prevention recommended by dentists is a custom-fitted night guard. However, it's costly, with the average dentist charging $200 to $300 per guard. And you can grind through several per year. But that's where Smile Brilliant's Lab Direct process comes in. You can get the same custom-fitted night guards for as little as $45 per guard. My wife also got me the Smile Brilliant custom fitted teeth whitening trays and their Kari Pro electric toothbrush. And Christian, they work wonders. Well, our listeners should head over to smilebrilliant.com and use our promo code NERD at checkout for 30% off. Once again, that's smilebrilliant.com and use our code NERD at checkout. That's right, nerds. Don't be an idiot. Smile Brilliant. All right, Damon, it's time for some Bad Batch talk. We're talking episode eight, Reunion. Warning spoiler alert. Spoilers for Star Wars The Bad Batch ahead. You have been warned. Scrappers on Braca reported a power search on a Jedi cruiser. Send a scout team. We'll need more than that. It's Clone Force 99. Admiral Rampart, the clones of Experimental Unit 99 are highly skilled assets. It would be most beneficial to have them returned alive. I have no interest in a group of rogue clone deserters. If you find them on Bracca, terminate them. So this might be my favorite episode yet. Uh, it felt like a mid-season finale of sorts in a strange way. So we start off the episode with Rampart telling Lama Su that he wants the Bad Batch killed after they discover their location. Lama Su seems hesitant, uh, warning what a real threat the Bad Batch are. I'm sure, like, you know, part of this is the fact that they want to retrieve Omega unscathed uh, so they can implement their phase three cloning plan and not some, you know, connection to the Bad Batch and like them caring about their well-being. Honestly, in the scene, I was surprised by how like nonchalant Rampart was even a, like, you know, saying, yeah, just get rid of him. You know, he, he's like, I don't care. Because even Crosshair was like, you know, really saying like, these guys are dangerous. I'm going to go get them. It just really goes to show like how much he really undervalues the clones 
especially like the Bad Batch. I mean, you don't want to fuck around with no, them. Not at all. Next, we see Wrecker teaching Omega how to defuse a bomb. I'm really enjoying this fun uncle role for Wrecker. Uh, <laughs> and I'm sure like this moment is some kind of foreshadowing that they'll pay off in the near future. You say uncle, but I say kind of older cousin, <laughs> to be honest. He, he is very childlike. <laughs> The Batch are still on the Scrapper planet, and they're trying to collect weapons off the ships uh, so they can get a payday from Sid. During this, we have an exchange between Echo and Hunter. It seems Echo feels like they should have left with Rex um, since they're soldiers and that's their lot in life. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad that they addressed this pretty fast, like, because uh, that's exactly how I felt after seeing that scene last episode. I was like, I mean, they should probably just go with Rex at this point. Uh, they have, you know, I don't know if bounty hunter life is really for them, you know? Yeah, because, I mean, what's safer? Them, like, doing all these missions? And, I mean, they're putting Omega in harm's yes. way, honestly. Because if they're going to, like, you know, put Omega at risk, they can do it while making the noble choice of, like, standing up to the Empire. Exactly. It's probably safer with whatever remnants of the Republic there are. Meanwhile, we see Tech downloading files off the ship's computer. I'm not sure how this is eventually going to come in play. Um, I'm wondering if this is somehow going to help them, like, gain information uh, that will help them in the near future. After that, we cut over to Kamino. Uh, we find out that Lama Su has hired more bounty hunters to retrieve Omega. Uh, this also confirms that they were the ones that indeed hired Finnick. Uh, meanwhile, Crosshair and his elite squad of stormtroopers, plus the a squadron of clones, arrive on the Scrapper planet. And we get a nice battle of wits between him and the Batch as a game of cat and mouse begins. Uh, it's a pretty epic battle uh in between we see them attempt to reach crosshair again uh telling them about the chip to no avail uh the batch gets trapped when they try to escape through the ship's engine but crosshair of course is one step ahead of them cutting them off and then actually trying to incinerate them by turning on the engine uh the batch escapes by blowing it apart uh and then we see that the blast actually severely injures crosshair as he gets fried. The aftermath leaves him looking like a lot of other classic Star Wars villains. I mean, all scarred up with some sort of breathing apparatus on. We'll see if the injury ends up like diminishing his skills uh, as a sniper because he definitely took the blast to his eyes. Yeah, it was very Vader-esque with him getting burned up there. I definitely didn't like see that coming whatsoever, but it was a very cool moment at the same time. I almost feel like, you know, the last moment we got with him, with him actually killing one of his unit members, uh, was very evil. But this, this version of Crosshair here at this moment, I don't know. Like, I really felt for, like, the team there watching their friend, you know, really go out of his way to kill them in the worst way possible here at this moment. Yeah, he, he does not give a fuck not at this at point. Not at all. <laughs> Anyway, next we get a holy shit moment as we see Hunter and Omega head back to the ship only to find a bunch of dead clones who have fallen to the barrel of the legendary bounty hunter, Cad Bane. This was definitely a big surprise, uh, but a welcome one. Uh, so now we know who the Kaminoans have hired to bring back Omega. Uh, Hunter and Bane have an epic standoff straight out of a Western, and we see just what a badass Bane is, shooting down Hunter and capturing Omega to bring back to Lama Su and company. So apparently this whole scene was 
based on a scrap scene that they had for the Clone Wars between Cad and Boba Fett in a storyline that never played out. But that's just the rumor, at least. Honestly, I hadn't heard anything about that. That would have been interesting to see what they were going to do with Boba Fett there. But um, at the same time, uh, I don't know. I'm, I'm not a big Cad Bane fan. I, I was never into him when he was in Clone Wars and stuff like that. So when he popped up on screen, I, it was just a groan for me. I just I, I had no interest <laughs> in seeing him there. It was a cool standoff, though. I do I do say the, the intensity of that standoff was there. And when we saw Hunter go down, I was like, is he actually dead here? Because that would be fucked up. But, there, you know, the signs weren't there. There wasn't that, like, classic no music or anything there going on. So I, I, I took the signs and moved on. You know, I felt the same way about Cad at first. Like, I felt like he was just way too on the nose uh, with his cowboy hat and his duster uh-huh. and everything. Um, and it would drive me crazy because my daughter would say that was her favorite bounty hunter. And you know me, I'm a huge you know, Boba Fett uh-huh. fan. So I was like, how dare you? Um, but <laughs> he slowly like actually like, grew on me after a while. Mm. So um, I was excited to see him. So do you think this eventually like ends up leading to us seeing him in live action form? Maybe in like Book of Boba or, you know, even the Mandalorian? I mean, I don't imagine them not using any type of uh, character at this point. If they're alive in the animations, I mean, that's just another person that they can bring in to their live action series. Why not? Um, That would be a great character to see in the Book of Boba Fett. I think that would be a good little foil for him. But I mean, I... Mm -hmm. I'd prefer someone else, but, you know, that's that's just me. I think you're going to come around, my friend. Sure. You're going to have a huge Cad Bane back tattoo by the end of the year. 100%. You're going to be cosplaying as him at the next fucking convention. I'm surprised you don't have a huge Slave 1 tattoo on you. I have a Boba Fett tattoo. Yeah, but not a Slave 1 one. That's what I'm saying. Well, at this point, I don't have enough room, Christian. All right. If you say so. I see space on your face, man. There's, there's, there's room. <laughs> right on the middle of my forehead. Yes, exactly. <laughs> sure. My wife would love that. I have a little teardrop for Django. Oh, really? <laughs> <laughs> Explain that one in prison. <laughs> Why am I in prison? I don't know, man. <laughs> I finally end up killing you. Oh. After three years of podcasting. <laughs> We're only here to murder our thirst, all right? Not each other. Okay. All right. Nice plug. <laughs> Anyway, uh, the episode ends with the Batch rescuing Hunter and realizing that they've lost Omega. I love this episode. Uh, We've got our heroes with their backs against the wall, now faced with the impossible task of rescuing Omega from the Kaminoans and the Empire. I mean, things are looking bleak as all hell, not only for the Bad Batch, but for also Crosshair, who just might not be of any use anymore to the Empire. Will this end up making him more vicious, or is this the start of his road to redemption? But anyway, like I said uh, at the top, this episode definitely had that like mid-season feel to it. Dare I say I got Empire like vibes from it. Not that it's as good as Empire Strikes Back or anything, but you know what I mean. Anyway, um, yeah, it was a hell of an episode. Honestly, I was surprised that this was only the halfway mark. You know, I could totally have pictured this being a 12 episode series or this being the episode that kind of just sets up the last four. You know, okay, it's them trying to hunt down and find Cad Bane. Like that's what I, I imagined at this point. But I realized, you know, oh, wait, we only we have a whole nother eight episodes to go. Um, so I don't know what's what's going to happen next at this point. 
Honestly, I could have seen this being like a season finale. Yeah, I could have seen that. And that would have been a good little cliffhanger if they were going to continue on the series. It just depends because I don't think we've heard if they're doing more seasons yet, right? Yeah, we don't know if this is a mini series or if this is just the first season of like many you know seasons to come. So I'm guessing like the next couple of episodes are, are really going to be about like the Bad Batch, you know, going on a rescue mission to save Omega. Um, do you feel like they're going to end up having to recruit help? Or are they going to end up going on their own at first? And then, you know, after being defeated, that's when they end up getting help. Yeah, I mean, the team is very, like, headstrong. They they seem to stick to themselves at first. So I definitely see them going there first and probably failing. Nah. <laughs> Hopefully not having a member die or having a member get too injured. I can totally see them picking up our two favorite characters, Rafa and Trace, um, and also eventually getting Rex on their side to go after them. Yeah, kind of, it, I, at that point, though, it feel a little bit too much like the Mandalorian, right? Where they all had to that does feel like the formula, formula, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm not bad at it, though. No, I mean, that show was good for a reason, right? Yes. <laughs> and plenty of like action series uses mm-hmm. that formula. So today's podcast is presented by Podgo. Hey, if you're a fellow podcaster, let me tell you about Podgo. Podgo is the easiest way for you to monetize your podcast. That's right. They're providing podcasters with a flat rate for ad space, so you always know how much you get when you include an ad from Podgo. Apply today and become a member and immediately be connected with advertisers that fit your audience. That's podgo.co at P-O-D-G-O dot C-O. And let them know the nerds sent you by adding our podcast, The Amazing Nerd Show, in the How Did You Hear About Podgo section of the application. Once again, that's podgo.co at P-O-D-G-O dot C-O. This past weekend, we also got the return of one of my favorite animated series, Rick and Morty. Warning, spoiler alert. Spoilers for Rick and Morty ahead. You have been warned. Come on, Rick. We're almost there. Ugh, leave me, Morty. It's the only way. Why? What? Were we? Were we blades in that one? That's f-ing tight. Just stay with me. I'm, I'm scared, Morty. I can see the end. In the premiere of season five, Rick and Morty start off with a bit of a bang, but that is to be expected as each season has started with some of the show's funniest material. This time around, we're introduced to apparently Rick's arch enemy, Mr. Nimbus, which just kind of seems like a hypersexual Namor. Morty early in this episode, in a moment where it seems like both Rick and himself are going to die, calls up his longtime crush, Jessica, who changes his suicidal spirits by agreeing to actually watch a movie at his house with him. Saving both their lives, Morty lands Rick's ship in the sea, which I guess somehow breaks a treaty he had with Mr. Nimbus. From there, the hijinks really ensues as Rick attempts to deal with with Mr. Nimbus acting in the most meek way he has ever. And Morty attempts to have a date with Jessica at his house, with of course none of this actually working out as planned per usual. I think the main takeaway from this episode is how much Morty is changing during his time working with Rick. I mean, each season, Morty seems to grow more brazen and angry as compared to his naive, almost happy-go-lucky self in season one. It's slow character development, but it's there. I definitely feel like they've you know come up with more of a plan this time around ever since they made that you know deal for the 79 episodes with Adult Swim. 
Last season really had felt like a clear departure in the show's normal pace, but it still had a lot of laughs there. You know, um, you know, we got episodes that seemed to take more of a chance at doing random adventures rather than each episode feeling like it needed to progress the story of Rick and Morty. There weren't like a ton of crazy moments that led to, you know, the lore of this universe. But it's also fair to say that we got a ton of, you know, Easter eggs here in this episode alone and little nods here that could possibly be, you know, you know, used in future stories like who the fuck is Kyle? You know, Mr. Nimbus brings up, you know, is this another one of your Kyles when Morty walked into the room? So, I mean, who was Kyle? Just another version of Morty beforehand? Who is this guy? Maybe we'll learn more about him in the future. Does he have anything to do with evil Morty? There's so much to speculate on as we move on in this actual season. All in all, this episode was great and there's still a ton about this episode I haven't even talked about like a moment with the wine you know that Morty's trying to bring for Jessica um, that definitely just makes this episode an instant classic in my book so I definitely will be tuning in each weekend as a new episode comes out and we'll be giving a full grade when the season finishes later this year all right boys and girls it's that time again it's time for Christian's Corner After last week's behemoth of gaming news, it was almost a delight to see things die down a little in the gaming news world. However, there was a story that did catch my eye I'd like to talk about. That story being the next Ghost of Tsushima experience. It looks like there's going to be a partial sequel for Ghost of Tsushima on its way to the PS4 and PS5 titled Ghost of Ikashima. According to Nick Backer, who has actually broke a few stories over the last few years, um, he has stated that the game is actually going to be a standalone expansion. To actually quote him, he called it a expandalone, and it's set for a 2021 release. I imagine if they have a smaller experience to put out this year, it would have to be, you know, kind of late holiday season at this point, since we haven't seen any trailers or even an official announcement from anyone over at Sucker Punch. Also, if this is slated for both PS4 and PS5, that would most likely mean that there will be an actual full port of its predecessor going to the PS5 as well, as you know, Ghost of Tsushima doesn't have an upgraded version right now for PS5. I guess you'd probably do a bundled deal, you know, you'd sweeten it for those who haven't actually gotten a chance to play Ghost of Tsushima just yet. Ghost of Tsushima was my game of the year last year, and I am currently playing it again live on Twitch on its hardest difficulty lethal mode each and every Thursday. I'm definitely excited by the prospect of more Ghost of Tsushima coming this year, and I'd hope it would be, you know, somewhere on the same scale like the Miles Morales game that was also, you know, a great, you know, little mini sequel to Marvel's Spider-Man. If you're interested in Ghost of Tsushima but never tried it, I'd suggest, you know, stopping by my Thursday stream as I'm always down to help sway you into buying this. <laughs> Otherwise, you can always check out other things that we do live on Twitch as it is the home of our gaming content. Next week on Twitch, our schedule is going to be a little off. I will not be streaming um, Thursday or Friday, but I will be streaming WWE 2K19 Universe Mode both Saturday and Sunday as we will be doing our go home show plus we'll be doing the actual pay-per-view event for this month. You're definitely going to want to check out what we have in store for PCW. But enough of all that, let's talk some genuine wrestling. Yeah. Oh. Oh. Oh, he just punched a chair with his bare fist. Are you kidding me? All right, Christian. So this past weekend, the WWE officially killed the Hell in the Cell match by featuring <laughs> it on three separate fucking shows. 
They sure did. Unbelievable. <laughs> um, like, I know desperate times call for desperate measures, but the fact that they literally did a Hell in the Cell match on SmackDown, then had a Hell in the Cell match like pay-per-view, and then did another Hell in the Cell match on Raw just tells you all you need to know about the current state of the product. Um, I mean, the mystique of the Hell in the Cell has been pretty much gone for the past, like, five, six years, honestly. Like, ever since it became, like, its own pay-per-view, honestly. Mm. I mean, at least for me. But just, I mean, talk about beating a dead horse. Like, these matches meant nothing to me. Nothing, unfortunately. Like, the closest one to warranting a Hell in the Cell match was the Drew and Lashley match. Yes. But Mm. everything else, it was just forced bullshit. So, but I mean, that tells you where this review is going to go. <laughs> uh, let's get into the pay-per-view. Um, what did we start off with, Christian? Well, first up, we had a pre-show match. Uh, did you watch it? Absolutely not. You want to know why, Christian? Why? Because I've literally watched some kind of version of this match at least maybe a thousand times on Raw over the past year. So I'm done. (laughs) I never need to see these women wrestle again. Like, apparently, these are the only two women tag teams, like, left. And we're being force-fed this shit, like, every week. So um, I know I sound like a broken record, but I just – I don't get it, man. I just don't get it. Like, why do they hate me so much? (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely absurd. And, like, it's – like, they've been feuding for a while, but then, like, they for some reason somehow restarted this feud over, like, I know Dana and Mandy interrupting Natalie's – Natalie and Tamina's like training session. I mean, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, they could have trained somewhere else. It was like a photo shoot going on in the uh, same room. Uh, yeah, I don't know. It, yes, yes. It, it doesn't really matter. But. It's a stretch <laughs> at uh-huh. best. So um, it just tells you the state of like the women's division. So, mm-hmm. but yes, no, I, Natalia won. That's all we need to know. But yet, for some reason, this feud is still continuing because basically like the vice versa of like events happened on Raw the ne- like the next night where it was like Mandy and them getting interrupted by Natalia and Tamina. So I don't even know who the heel is at this point. It'll go back and forth for a while because I mean this is just leading up to their big WrestleMania match next year. All right, Damon, <laughs> you're not seeing the full picture. No, here. I'm all for long term form like storytelling, <laughs> but I'm out. Like honestly, like if I if I have to sit through a year of this, I'm done, man. Well. Starting off the actual card, we had Bianca Belair and Bailey in our first Hell in a Cell for this weekend, at least. So both wrestlers worked hard. Um, mm-hmm. I just didn't care too much for this match, honestly, because it focused so much on Bianca's hair. It just took me out of the match. The fact that she was able to fend off Bailey, you know, who had a chair yeah. with her fucking <laughs> hair. <laughs> Are you kidding me? My only like I don't know the only way I can rationalize this is that it's going to lead to some kind of hair versus hair match but it's weird that like a hell in the cell match is your second chapter of this feud right (laughs) that's very odd yeah it should definitely be more of a blow off but I mean we've talked about that they both worked hard and like all the shit that didn't involve hair was fine 
mm-hmm. but there was just way too much hair shit. Like, you know, Bailey tying her hair to things and it would lead to nowhere. It just, I don't know. It did nothing for me. Honestly, the worst one out of all of them, not even the chair shot one, but the one where, she, you know, they've been tying her up this whole time with the hair. Why did Bianca decide, hey, the best idea right now is to actually wrap it around my enemy's wrist. Yes. That can obviously just pull the hair at that point. I totally and forgot about that because I'm like, I was like, why was this a trap? Yes, just yank on her fucking hair. What are you doing? And it's in a hell of a cell, so there's no fucking DQ. Yes. The ref's not going to yes. start counting to five. What are we doing? <laughs> <laughs> Who's booking this shit? I don't know, man. It, it gets weirder as the card goes uh, on. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, this was definitely not their strongest yes. performance. And, and the cell was just there. Yes. It wasn't used at all in this match. There was no reason for it to be a hell in a cell. No, I agree 100%. All right, well, up next, we had Seth Rollins defeating Cesaro by pinfall. Um, This was a fine match. Good wrestling. Mm-hmm. I just I don't care about this feud anymore. It feels like Cesaro's push is trending downward at this point. Um, I don't know. I don't know. It's just disappointing. I mean, it's the same thing we've seen from most of Cesaro's pushes. Like they just book him in the same match over and over again and he disappears eventually. Yeah. He Uh, he finally got the championship match against Roman. mm -hmm. He lost decisively. And then they're literally like, "Okay, well, we got to get Seth right. So we're going to have Seth beat you now. (laughs) (laughs) 50 50 booking Uh, at its finest. I mean, my my only compliment was that this felt more intense than the previous match, which was actually a Hell in a Cell match. so it's just it didn't make any sense to me. Like the intensity in this oh, match. Okay, I thought the last time they faced Bianca. at WrestleMania. Yeah. No, no. Because <laughs> I enjoyed that match, but the build to this mm-hmm. made no sense to me. So no. I, I did, you know, and that that's the problem with a lot of these matches. It's not the wrestlers' fault. Um, you know, they just can't outwork bad booking. Is the problem? Mm-hmm. Uh, they all busted their asses on the show. Um, and for the most part, most of the matches are solid. It's just the booking really just does them no favors. It, it really left me just not caring about what was actually happening and the results of each one of these matches, because I know most of these feuds or angles are going to end up going nowhere. Well, Damon, a match I know you really cared about was Alexa Bliss versus Shayna Baszler, um, featuring Nia Jax and Reginald, of course. Oh, my God. So at least the doll's gone. Right. I think they realized that people fucking hated the doll. So now she's on time out, quote unquote. Um, (laughs) But the fact that Alexa can now like hypnotize people. Mm -hmm. Now, my question to you, Christian, is instead of hypnotizing Reginald, why and Naya, why doesn't she fucking hypnotize Shayna and just have her like lay still? Well, in the match. No, Christian. No. You're not going to rationalize this. (laughs) She does try to hypnotize Shada. She just gets distracted every once in a while. She's like the easiest like video game villain I've ever seen. Like, why is it that the first thing you do? Why is there even a (laughs) lockup? Like, if you have this power, why is it just it just it's completely a void of all logic. And how does this eventually get back to to Bray or is Bray gone? I, I feel like Bray's know. gone at this point, right? I don't know what's happening because storytelling <laughs> is just out the window. So and even if he does show up, do I care? No. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. 
up next, we had Sami Zayn defeating Kevin Owens, you know, in their never ending feud. Yes, this is one of three matches that we saw already on WrestleMania. Mm-hmm. Like we had three rematches from WrestleMania and I can't even remember what the hell happened on uh, WrestleMania Backlash or whatever the fuck Backlash, they call it. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, it might like we've seen most of these matches multiple times at this point, let alone like, you know, Sammy and Kevin's, you know, epic odyssey of a feud that's been going on <laughs> for like 20 years uh, both of these guys wrestled hard they put on an entertaining match um kevin i don't know if he's just a fantastic seller but like he was selling his throats which he got injured from the simone spike um on friday on smackdown uh, but then he also started selling his shoulder or his arm so i was like i didn't know if he was actually injured it was kind of mm. weird because he was selling his throat, right? And then it, it became yeah. his arm. And I was like, okay, is he legitimately hurt? And now they're saying that he's going to be taking some time off. So I'm not sure what's going on. But if he worked that entire match, like legitimately injured, I mean, it was a hell of a match. Yeah, I mean, it's always great when you see Sami Zayn versus Kevin Owens because every single move always connects. Mm-hmm. I mean, that hell of a kick is just straight in the center of Kevin Owens' face yes. each time. It's always a great highlight reel. But I mean, yeah, if, if Kevin Owens got injured and it was like going through his entire match, I mean, there was definitely a couple receipts here too given. Uh-huh. Like there was a few <laughs> stiff moments, and they were answered with like stiffer moments. So, uh, yeah, it was a fun match to watch, but that's what you get when you have two friends wrestling each other. Um, exactly. But, yeah, no, I was happy that Sammy actually got the win for once because I don't remember the last time Sammy won a match, you know, against Kevin. And hopefully they use it to build up Sammy again because he's been really, like, floundering the past, like, you know, six months or so. I, I agree with you, but I just... I don't see the. I don't know who he you know go up against. Oh, I point. have no expectations of that actually happening, uh-huh. but <laughs> it's wishful thinking at best. Well, anyway, up next we had Charlotte Flair defeating Rhea Ripley by disqualification in the best disqualification yet. Um, you know, just pulling the announce table, announce announce table's fucking banner and hitting her with yes. it uh, was just brilliant. Yes. Love the booking. I think WWE deserves a reward this time around. <laughs> instead of us just ignoring it, let's let's start giving them fucking medals for every time they just fucking ruin these matches yes. with the stupidest fucking booking decisions I've ever seen. I. I I was so frustrated because uh-huh. it was a good match by this moment. Yes, it was good. It was decent. Uh, these two know how to go up against each yes. other. They, they just work so well. And then we get shit like this. And then I don't know what the fuck they were talking so about at the end of the here's match. Here's the thing. If that's a DQ, how is uh-huh. it like ramming your opponent into the steel steps? Not a DQ. You know, I or know, the steel Damon. post on the outside of the rig. Like if that little plastic <sighs> piece on the table is a DQ. Like, wouldn't, like, you know, body slamming your your opponent into the steps be a DQ mm-hmm. also? So, like, you have to actually swing the object for it to be the, a, a DQ? Is that how it works? I, I don't know, man. Because it... They had they had such an easy way out of that. Just have her walk over to one of the people, take the chair, yes, and then show maybe like even like a second of hesitation. But she's frustrated, so she's gonna go yes. at her with the chair. That's it. Yes, and easy. it's more legit. You avoid stupid shit. Exactly. It makes her look like a fucking badass. Like people can get behind that. Mm-hmm. Um, I I have no idea who the heel is 
in this program <laughs> at this point. And then like Charlotte was giving her like the nod of respect at the end. Yes. Like you're learning, bitch. Like and then I, I don't understand the exchange that happened there. Are we gonna eventually have like a mentor student? relationship between these two like are they gonna I could just, see like, it. team up mm-hmm. i could see it just to prolong their storyline if they want to put in a couple more months you have them run as the tag team you know they defeat natalia and tamina well, you know, at you have- this point charlotte came out challenged Rhea again on raw so they're gonna be okay. wrestling at money in the bank so that's All not right, happening at least not yet so charlotte's gonna dq on on Rhea. That's what's going to happen in my Um Becky's rumored to be coming back shortly. So I don't know if they're just stalling for a Becky Lynch return. Probably. You know, is, is this going to end up being a three way? Um, is Charlotte going to just win the belt and you're going to have Charlotte versus Becky at SummerSlam? Um, I don't know. I, I hope that they give Rhea a longer title run than that, though. I agree. But I, I'm I'm really missing Becky at this. No, point I agree. I agree. In the company. Uh, but it's not the women's <laughs> fault. It's the way that they're booking no. them. Because they're they're booking them as second class citizens on this mm-hmm. show. Um, case in point, on Raw, they started doing Money in the Bank qualifier matches, right? And for no reason whatsoever, they had the men's matches be one on one matches, but for the women's Money in the Bank match, they were tag team qualifying matches. It made mm. no sense because at first I was confused. I was like, "Are they doing a tag team?" money in the bank match this year but no it was for the singles match but for some reason they just couldn't give them the time to do all these single matches so once it, once again it's like they're second class citizens on these shows and it's, it's absolutely absurd because you have three hours a week on raw why aren't you spreading out these matches in the first place like they did like mm-hmm. three or four matches for the men's like on this first show like leading up to Money in the Bank. And Money in the Bank, mind you, is over a month away. So you could spread, like, you know, have one or two matches every week leading up to Money in the Bank. So you have some reason for these guys to be going at it. Um, yeah, exactly. <laughs> they did this last year, too. So we had all the participants for Money in the Bank a month out. So, like, for the rest of, like, the buildup, they were just kind of stalling for time. Like, make it interesting. <laughs> So, but instead, they're just going to do 25 rematches before they get to Money in the Bank. Oh, yeah. Maybe maybe we'll get another one of those interview scenes where they're all sitting on top of the ladders. Oh, That's God. always fun. Oh, I hated that. <laughs> uh, anyway, all right. So, yeah. So, Rhea won, or no, Rhea lost via disqualification. Let's move yes. on. Okay. Uh, Bobby Lashley uh, holds on to his title in the last chance Hell in a Cell match. Against Drew McIntyre. Drew McIntyre can no longer um, challenge for the title, as far as I'm aware. Now, I was surprised by this. Um, I really thought Drew was going to walk away with the title here. Um, not that the program would end. I thought that Bobby would end up getting a rematch, maybe at Money in the mm-hmm. Bank. Uh, but yeah, I, I'm not sure where they're going. Drew was in a Money in the Bank qualifying match, which he actually lost to Matt Riddle, um, You know, which was a big surprise. But that whole night on Raw was all about like the underdogs winning. Um, it's really not going to mean anything in the long run. It's just like basically all the best like participants for the Money in the Bank match one yes. because not only did Matt Riddle win, but you had John Morrison win. Uh, he beat Randy Orton, and then you had Ricochet beat AJ Styles. Wait, wait, <laughs> <What>? yes. 
is this my booking? Like, what the fuck is going on? Like, it was cool to see, like, you know, these undercard talents, which sadly, uh, that's what you have to call them at this point. Like, you know, beat these main eventers. But I just know it doesn't mean anything. Mm-hmm. You know, so it is what it is. Um, it sounds like Drew, AJ and Randy are going to face off in a like, you know, last chance match of some sort to uh, see who qualifies for the other spot. Uh, but yeah, no, it is what it is, man. I, it's like I can't even get really excited not to get too far away from this match, but I can't get, even get excited for money in the bank anymore because it's like even like what last year we had Otis yes. win. And where did that go? And you know, they immediately you the that, Miz well, cash they took in. it off of him. <laughs> exactly. It's, so I don't know, man. someone actually did win the title because of it. But it was the fucking Miz who got eaten by yes. zombies like two months later. So <laughs> you're right. What does it really matter at this point? Um, but yeah, no, th- this match itself was good. I, I, I mm. you know, it just didn't need the sell. It felt like. Like, it could have been any kind of match for the brutality that they had. Like, the cell doesn't really mean anything at this point. You know, it's just a gimmick for gimmick's sake. Yeah, like, even the, um, you know, distraction or the, I mean, the pull from MVP didn't bother me too much, as per usual. My Uh, issue was the fact that the referee allowed MVP to be in the cell for, like, the next, you know, like, they couldn't unlock the door. Yeah. Oh, and that like Drew spent so much time on MVP mm-hmm. like for that last third of the match. So it's just like I get it. You should probably figure out that, you know, you should be focusing on your actual competitor. Yes. Here. Bobby Lashley is a threat. But that's how <laughs> WWE books baby faces. They just make them look mm-hmm. like idiots. So, I mean, like it's hard to feel sympathetic when <laughs> they can't figure this shit out on their own. Yeah. But I mean, like you said, I mean, there was a lot of great moments in the match. You know, they they put a good show together. Doesn't need the sell necessarily. No. Like this could have been any like, you know, run of the mill extreme match. It was more of a match. kendo stick match. Yes. Right? <laughs> Which the candlestick is just the main weapon of WWE at yes. this point. It's, it's that breakable wood that they can use at any time in any weird way that they want. So it's just you get visible fucking like mm-hmm. marks. So you see uh-huh. the aftermath. Um, it's good photo op. I mean, he was mutilated. It was pretty fucking nasty. But at the same time, I mean, if you see it over and over again, it mm-hmm. really loses its effect. Um, and that's what's happened with the kendo sticks. So and that's what's happened with the hell in the cell, because like I said, we had on Monday Night Raw, another Hell in the Cell match with Bobby fucking Lashley versus Xavier Woods. And one of the most like contrived like build up to a match as possible. Uh-huh. Now, I like that Bobby's going to end up facing off against Kofi Kingston in Money in the Bank. That's cool to me. But like the setup for this match made absolutely like zero sense. So like Bobby standing in the middle of the ring celebrating his big win. But for some reason, the cell's still hanging above him. So right away, you know, you're going to have a hell in the cell match <laughs> uh, on that night on that night show. So then Xavier and um, Kofi come out. They're celebrating. They start talking trash to uh, Bobby. Uh, Kofi, you know, reminds him that he has a victory over him at this point. Uh, they show some footage, which leaves out Drew hitting Bobby with MVP's cane, which was was a oh, very okay. like hill thing to do. Like the fact that they edited that out, so I was like, well, that's strange. Once again, who's the babyface and who's the heel? You know, in this scenario. Um, mm-hmm. But then you have like Xavier 
grab the microphone. Bobby starts talking about, you know, not wanting interference at Money in the Bank. MVP realizes Bobby's fucking up, so he cuts him off, tries to bring him back to tonight, you know, and tonight's match, you know, not wanting interference. And then you have Xavier then challenge him to not only a match, but to a Hell in the Cell match. Um, so someone screwed up a line, you know, or Xavier didn't okay. go when he was supposed to go. I don't know what happens, but it was very awkward and strange. It didn't make any sense. I don't know why the heels accepting a second fucking Hell in the Cell match in two days. Yeah. <laughs> Does that really make him a heel? Right? No. <laughs> that makes that to me, that makes him a fighting baby face. So uh-huh. it just it, it just booked fucking ass backwards as always. And unfortunately, that's how like WWE's booking been over the last couple of years. So um, it is what it is, unfortunately. So uh, that should be mo- like Raw's motto. <laughs> it is what it is. Uh, I hear you. But is, I don't know. Like I got a twinge bit excited when I saw Drew McIntyre lose because I was like, OK, maybe they have someone in mind to go Christian, up against Bobby Lashley. Christian, if you've been but watching the show, that's... you would know they have not built anyone <laughs> up besides Kofi. Exactly. Like, they've been having a little feud back and forth, this like mini feud. He still doesn't feel like a real contender. You know, I feel mm. like he's just kind of a like a stepping stone to like SummerSlam. There's rumors out there that Lashley will be facing off against maybe like Lesnar. Um, we'll see. Those are just rumors. Uh, but yeah, no, it, it, I have no idea who they're building up for this match. Uh-huh. You know, for SummerSlam, at least. Well, since we're still here at Hell in a Cell, what star rating would you give it? Uh, I'm going to give it two and a half stars. And that's solely based on the effort of the performers. The work in the ring was all fine. Um, unfortunately, you can't outwork bad booking, like I said. So it, it, there was just no buildup to any of these matches, it felt mm. like. And I mean, some of the finishes were just god awful. I still can't get over the Charlotte and Rhea like finish. Just so awful. Like after they like just busted their asses in the ring <laughs> for that to be like, you know, the finish. Just embarrassing. Yeah. Uh, and that's why I'm giving it a two. Uh, I, I can praise these people for their wrestling ability every single event. I can do it every single time. It, at this point, if I don't get a single story worth caring about, what's the exactly. point? Why do I tune in? Why do I watch any of this shit? If I can't, if it doesn't go anywhere, if it doesn't do anything interesting. Yes, the matches are great, but it's like, if I want to watch great wrestling, I'll go over to fucking New Japan mm. and I'll watch that. I don't know what to do anymore with WWE. I really don't. <laughs> you know, for a company that sells their product on their storytelling, mm-hmm. they sure are shitty at it. Like, I mean, (laughs) and this has been an ongoing problem for the past, like, five years, it feels like. I mean, the difference is, at least before you would have a program or two, um, like, that were well-written and that you were invested in. This past year, that hasn't been the case at all. Like, besides, like, you know, the whole Roman Reigns-like angle— um, and he still doesn't have many contenders, unfortunately. It's kind of like his story with his family um, mm-hmm. that's well-written. And that's about it. Everything else has just been really lackluster. And there's just so many rematches. If you keep on like showing these, these matches over and over again on Raw and SmackDown, you're watering down your own product to the point of like, 
well, I've seen this match like literally five times. Why do I want to see it again on pay-per-view? And that's what's happening here. And it doesn't make any sense because they literally have the biggest roster they've ever had. So they like, mm-hmm. especially on Raw, like it's a three hour show, yet they only feature like 12 people. And it doesn't make any sense. So you're literally just seeing different combinations of these like set 12 people every fucking week. And I don't know if it's just because McMahon doesn't trust anyone else to be in the ring. But it's just I don't know, man, like like you could show me a raw from like six months ago and tell me that it's this past week's episode. And I would probably believe you because week after week, they're shoving the same fucking matches down our throat. So like raw is just almost completely unwatchable to me. Like this was the first raw that I sat down and watched in probably a month um, just because I was curious to see where they were going to go with the whole mm-hmm. like Drew storyline. Um, but yeah, like, I mean, SmackDown, I can at least watch, but Raw, man, it's just pretty unbearable at this point. And that was like the baby for like forever. Yeah. You know, you would think that would be their one show that they would still know how to get right at this point. But yeah, I, we don't learn. About I don't it. know. I don't know. They need a fresh start. They need mm-hmm. to shake things up. Um, not just some fucking stupid draft. You know, not some, you know, bullshit season finale or, you know, series premiere, which they always do, um, you know, mm. season premiere, whatever. Um, they need a serious shakeup. Like, I'm I'm all for them just getting rid of the fucking brand extension altogether and just mixing the two brands so we could have, like, just new feuds and you just have a bigger roster to play with because I feel like they're too mm. spread thin between these two shows. I mean, there's no reason for it. It's just McMahon doesn't trust, you know, many people. So if you at least take those, you know, groups of people that he does trust on both shows and put them together, you have a bigger roster and more matches, you know, to watch. I mean, it's only a matter of time before, you know, he runs out a different combination of matches, you know, with that. Uh But at least it's something different. He should be able to stretch it out for at least six months. The catering bill would be too high, David. (laughs) Just too high. I don't get it. All right. So next week, we're going to be taking a little break from WWE. Uh, We're going to talk some AEW this uh, coming Saturday, we have Kenny Omega versus Jungle Boy. So, and after that, uh, AEW is going to be moving back to Wednesday. Thank fucking God. <laughs> I know. <laughs> but before then, we'll talk about all the happenings of that Saturday Night Dynamite. Well, that does it for this week. That's right. And as a friendly reminder, if you're listening to us on your favorite podcast platform, remember to subscribe, rate, and give us a five-star review. Exactly. It sure does help an independent podcast like ours to continue to grow. And while you're at it, make sure to tell a friend. Plus, if you like any of the stories we talked about on this week's episode, make sure to check us out on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter to catch the full articles, trailers, memes, and more. That's right, you can follow us at Amazing Nerd Show on all social media platforms. And hey, if you're looking for extra content, make sure to catch our streams every weekend on Twitch, plus YouTube videos Monday through Friday. Want to support the show further? You can head over to tpublic.com and get yourself some Amazing Nerd Show merch. We've got t-shirts, hoodies, stickers, and more. And if you post what you bought and tag us on social media, we'll send you some additional nerd swag if you live in the United States. Well, all right, Damon, what are we talking about next week? Uh, Next week, we'll be reviewing the A24 horror film, False Positive, and we'll also be breaking down the latest episodes of Bad Batch and Loki. And as we said earlier, we're going to be talking AEW. But that does it for this week. My name's Christian. And my name's Damon. And that was The Amazing Nerd Show. Hello.
over Isbria time at Prem I Atlehagen Stamoyen den Vene 